overlapping ways of uh, doing things. So we're going to dive into the uh, the sources, and there are going to be really two parts to this uh, shear to this uh, uh, discussion. The first is we're going to be going through uh, some mikorot and um, to answer questions uh, like about what exactly is the isur, is the prohibition against uh, eating, owning, seeing chametz, uh, what is the threshold of how much chametz is a problem, uh, what is it that defines chametz, uh, what is not chametz, which places need to be checked and cleaned, and how to get rid of uh, chametz in the kitchen is really going to be the second half. So the earlier questions I asked, we're going to go through a few sources to talk through uh, the nature of uh, them, and then we're going to spend the second half, I brought uh, another source sheet which is all in English, which is more of a primer, a how-to guide in terms of how to kosher the kitchen. Uh, so let's uh, work through the sheet. I apologize that, that, that the sources are not translated, but I'll go through them word by word and translate so that everyone will be able to follow, even if you can't follow all of the Hebrew. So the first question is, why are we learning about this now? In three days from now, we're going to be celebrating not Pesach, but Purim. So wouldn't it be more appropriate for us to learn about Megillah Esther, to learn about uh, uh, the mitzvot of Purim? So the answer is, it would be appropriate to do that. But there's also a reason for starting to learn about Pesach now. Not just because uh, Levi suggested it as a... Uh, Topic. Sure I was Lital. Okay, who uh, suggested it as a topic for our living and learning series, um, but there's also uh, a reason for doing so based on a Gemara in Psachim. So the Gemara in Psachim on the first uh, the first source here says Shoalin v'dorshin b'hilchot ha'pesach kodem ha'pesach shloshim yom. So the Gemara says that we're meant to ask and to examine the laws of Pesach thirty days beforehand. Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel Omer, Shtei Shabbatot, there's a disagreement. And uh, Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel disagrees with the Tanakam, with the first approach, and says that the amount of time we need to prepare uh, by studying the halachot of Pesach is not four weeks or not a month, but uh, two weeks. So what's the reason for the disagreement? My taima, de Tanakama, Shaharei Moshe Omer Pesach Rishon Umasir al Pesach Sheni. So what's the... Uh, precedent for starting to prepare for Pesach one month early. Moshe Rabbeinu started to teach about Pesach Sheni on Pesach Rishon. And Pesach Sheni takes place 30 days after one month following Pesach Rishon. And so when he stood up and started to teach about the nature of Pesach Sheni, as it says in the Pasuk in, uh, in, in, in Sefer Bamidbar, when Moshe uh, uh, has to deal with the fact that some people can't bring the Korban Pesach, the Paschal offering of, on the on Erev Pesach, because they are Tamemate, they have become ritually impure, he already starts explicating the laws of Pesach Sheni um, as Pesach Rishon is about to happen. And so from this we see that there is some precedent for starting to learn about uh, Pesach one month in advance. 
Now, it would seem that this was a unique um, kind of uh, uh, precedent and that it only happened for uh, Pesach Sheni, but it's extrapolated to be not just for Pesach Sheni, but for Pesach in general. Um, and the question that the Rishonim uh, debate here is, is this transferable beyond Pesach? Should we be studying the laws of all of the holidays 30 days in advance? And indeed, some say that that would be appropriate, that getting in the mood and the mindset of Purim would require us to have started already 26 days ago. Um, and certainly with regard to the enterprise of Sho'alin Vidorshin Bahalachot, to understand how to prepare, uh, begins with relating to the laws. Some Rishonim limit this to this 30-day period to really uh, the teachers and the rabbis in the community who are responsible for making sure that the community is aware and knowledgeable so that they know what to do. Um, so that the teaching for Pesach should start 30 days before Pesach. So when is 30 days before Pesach? Purim. Purim. Who has time on Purim to go to a, a shir on Hilchot Pesach? Nobody. <laughs> so it's appropriate for us to do it now. Better to be earlier than later, right? So I think the timing of this year is quite appropriate that we are fulfilling uh, the Tanakama's uh, uh, suggestion here in Masechet Psachim to already be starting to be Shoal Vidorshin Bihilchot Pesach 30 days uh, or, or more uh, before the holiday. Okay, so with that in mind, now that we've sort of uh, appreciated what we're doing right now, let's begin to delineate the um, mitzvot relating to chametz. So the first um, uh, uh, pasuk, that uh, there are really four mitzvot relating to chametz, which come into play when it comes to preparing and really cleaning one's house. The first um, is in Parshat Bo, here in source number two, Vayomer Moshe al Ha'am Zachor Tasher um, um, something got cut off here. Um, I have to remember, remember the uh, remainder of the pasuk. Um, we'll have to look it up. The last um, piece of the uh, pasuk, Velo Yechel Chametz, is the key part of the pasuk for our purpose. When Moshe is saying that you shall remember this day that, when, that, that Hashem took you out of Egypt and you shall do so by not eating chametz, that's the prohibition against consuming chametz. So that's the basic uh, source that we learn about the prohibition of not eating chametz on Pesach. The next pasuk is source number three. Shivat yamim so'or lo um, so the next pasuk here is saying that for seven days, one should not have soor in their home. Soor, in distinction from chametz, is not leavened bread, but it's a uh, typically translated as sourdough, something which is a leavening agent, something which can cause something else to ferment. So here there's a prohibition not just on uh, chametz, but also on something which is a leavening uh, agent. So that's the second uh, prohibition. The third 
relates to Matzot uh, Yachel, this is in source number four, Matzot Yachel at Shivat Hayamim. So you should eat Matzot for uh, all seven days. And here is the Lotase, the Lo Yira Elacha Chametz. You shall not see for yourself Chametz. So we see these two categories of chametz and seor uh, mirrored again in this pasuk. And just like we have the lo ye'achel um, by uh, both of them in the, uh, the tupsukim that we just saw, we also have this additional element of the lo ye'ra'eh. So what does lo ye'ra'eh mean? Can't see it. Yeah, you shouldn't find it. You shouldn't be able to see it with your eyes. And specifically, bivatechem, right? You shouldn't uh, come across any of these items in your homes. Um, Rabbi, it says bekol gvulcha, like in your borders, which is really problematic when you go to Shaw's or anywhere here. Right. But this is really, it's not understood. It's really uh, the, the modifier of Eloye Ralacha is a mute to say that it's only something which you own, okay. right? So in your borders, it's saying that within your jurisdiction, you shouldn't see things that you own, right? So uh, if you're going to, you know, go walking um, uh, in Cobb's Corner, you're likely to see uh, chametz, you know, sort of in our vicinity. But if you don't own it, then it's not a problem to see it. It's specifically that which belongs to you. Um, okay, so, um, so, so far we have three uh, uh, prohibitions, and now the fourth element here in source number five is um, not a lotase, but really an ase. And uh, let's read it. Shivat yamim matzoto chelu. So for seven days you should eat uh, matzah. Ach beyom harishon tashbitu soor mi batechem. So here we, the, the key words are, uh, at least for our purposes, are which the rabbis understand to mean that before the first day, the chametz should be destroyed from your home. So this is not a prohibition, but this is a mandate and assay a positive command that one must rid their homes of soor um, which is understood to be connected with chametz in this case they're sort of coupled together and interchangeable at this point is how the limud uh, operates so one needs to eradicate and remove chametz from their home before the first day of pesach okay so if we're going to sort of take a bird's eye view of all of these uh, uh, mitzvot relating to chametz, so it would seem that when it comes to the act of cleaning, that that is an, an assay, that's a fulfillment of this uh, last mitzvah of tashbitu, of destroying or removing the chametz from your home before uh, the 14th of Nisan arrives. Um, and by doing that, you would automatically um, pave the way for avoiding uh, the prohibition on seeing the chametz in your vicinity, because if you've removed it, then you won't see it, okay? Um, 
And uh, also, if you've removed it and you don't see it, then it's less likely that you're going to come in to eat it. Okay? So the cleaning is really setting up to ensure that all of these uh, various mitzvot related to chametz are either kept or avoided or however you want to uh, uh, characterize it. Okay. So uh, that's uh, in terms of just how the, the Torah relates to the topic of, uh, of chametz. So now let's um, answer the question of how much chametz is a problem. So the Gemara in Beitza uh, reads as follows. Tanya nami hachi, lo yira elecha chametz velo yira elecha soor, zehu machloket sheben Beit Shammai umbein Beit Hillel. So regarding this pasuk, or upon this pasuk, there is a dispute between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel. Shebeit Shammai omrim, seor bekezait vechametz bekiktovet. So Beit Shammai says that when it comes to the leavening agent or the sourdough, that that is prohibited only when it is larger than the amount of a kezait, roughly um, 30 grams, and chametz is uh, for ktovet, which is a larger amount. Ubeit Hillel omrim and Beit Hillel says that both are with a kezait. And so we follow the halacha is like Beit Hillel here. And so when it comes to the prohibitions that we just articulated above, and even the um, requirement of cleaning, what is it that one is required to clean from that, that one needs to, well, I, 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 let me rephrase that. When it comes to specifically the lo yira elachal, the things that you can't see in your entire house, the minimum um, uh, that you would need to see to violate that would be a kazai. So a cheerio is less than a kazai. Okay? So if you find a cheerio on Pesach, you have not violated the low, you might psychologically feel uh, like you've uh, messed up, right? Um, but on a technical level, you have not violated uh, the prohibition of lo yira elacha uh, because it does not reach that required threshold. Um, however, it's a good idea um, that it's a good idea to remove. Anything which is, uh, even if it's small, that it's of an edible nature, because people are accustomed to their regular habits, especially if you have children, and if they find a Cheerio, they might just pop it into their mouth, right? So, uh, so it's a good idea to uh, be a little more stringent, but according to at least the letter of the law, um, you know, going uh, into your... Um, you know, the, the, the cracks of your, you know, uh, doorknobs to, uh, you know, take a needle and, and make sure that there's no uh, you know, residue of chametz um, is unnecessary uh, because you're not going to come to eat that chametz and finding it, even if you happen to spot it, right, is not going to be a violation according to Beit Hillel, which the halacha uh, sides with. Question. I don't know, maybe you're going to come to this later, but is there the approach to kind of the over-the-top, overboard cleaning? Is this coming from like a little bit of a hedor mitzvah kind of place on the assay? 
Um, it's a good it's a good question, and some of it comes from it comes from many different places. It's hard mm-hmm. to s- sort of uh, um, there is a general um, sort of inclination towards chumra when it comes to Pesach, mm-hmm. and part of that comes from the association that's made by Chazal between chametz and um, uh, the Yitzhar Hara, between chametz and chimutz uh, and the Rav Ego, that were meant to try and eradicate those elements um, in order to spiritually liberate ourselves uh, for the uh, you know f- for the Pesach experience. And so I think some of it um, is appropriate, right? Some of the uh, meticulousness of cleaning, um, if we're thinking about it on a spiritual, sort of almost metaphysical plane, is uh, appropriate and really worthwhile um, if that's the uh, association and that's the spiritual gain uh, by doing so. Um, But... um, I think it's an interesting uh, idea to say that really the cleaning is just sort of a uh, a tashbitu plus kind of um, fulfillment. Okay, um, so um, we're going to go sort of quickly and jump around a little bit because I want to make sure we have some time to go through the um, the practical stuff. And of course, it goes without saying that this is really just a primer that each of these um, topics, uh, even though um, we're going through them, requires a lot more further investigation so that that in order for them to be done more uh, appropriately, but I think it's important to see some of the basic sources inside so that we can understand uh, the principles um, for what they are. Okay, so what constitutes uh, chametz? So this uh, Gemara just outlines the, uh, the five, uh, the Chamisha Minei Dagan, um, as the items which can become both chametz and are usable for uh, matzah, right? So any of the five grains which can be used for um, uh, matzah are also things which can become chametz, right? So there's an interesting kind of... Uh, use of the same material which can go in, in, in one direction and using it in another direction. Um, so that's, that's the uh, uh, source number uh, seven. Um, and then and source number eight, what is uh, not chametz? So the Shulchan Aruch uh, says, atzma she'ifsha If it's rotted, if anything which is chametz, which is made of the chamisha minei dagan, the five grains, and it's uh, become putrid or it's rotted, and and a dog that would walk by it would keep walking, right, and not uh, actually bend down to eat it, then um, then there's no requirement to, uh, to destroy it because it's not really chametz anymore. It's not really food anymore, right? If something is so disgusting that even a dog wouldn't eat it, then one not, need not worry about it because it's not even in the category of food, let alone chametz, right? So we could say something like crumbs or things which might accumulate in, in, in places that there's a lot of filth or dirt, right? Um, that that's no longer food, and so one does not need to, you know, I don't know, maybe go under their dryer 
where it's all dust and there's not the the stuff that is there is not really going to be food anymore. Um, so um, it's no longer in the category of chames once it reaches that. And so I think with crumbs as well, uh, you know, crumbs are, are are things that they're mostly not only are they too small, um, but they also become often dirty, such that even an animal wouldn't want to eat them, so they wouldn't even be considered chametz to begin with. And so on two fronts, you wouldn't need to sort of take all the crumbs out from everywhere in your house, because not only is it not a violation of lo yera elcha, of not having it in your possession and seeing it, it's not itself defined as chametz either. Okay. Um, so which places need to be checked and clean? Can I ask a specific question? Sure. You know how under the oven there's usually a drawer, and if you pull it out, it's scary what's in there? Yeah. So you, are you saying that's also not a problem because it gets all grimy and schmutzy? So there's a difference when it comes to um, the kitchen, okay. uh, which we haven't really touched yet because the prohibition of lo yachel, of not eating, is even b'mashehu. Even uh, any um, amount, any taste, any residue of chametz is prohibited to consume. So if it's in an area um, like an oven or something which might come into contact with food, then we need to be much more stringent. Okay. Right? So that the, the, I think the, the pan underneath the oven is a little bit in between. Right? Because is it, is it the stovetop? No. Right? But um, could it somehow... Um, make its way close to food, potentially, right? Okay. So I think uh, when it comes to the kitchen, we'd be a little bit more uh, uh, scrupulous, but I think um, you could make an argument to say that if um, that the content which is in there, it would not even be desirable to a dog, then it's not, not chametz, and you don't have to clean it, maybe you can just lock it, yeah. right? And not bother with it. Um, okay. So I, I kind of have a follow-up. I've always moved my refrigerator, moved my oven mm -hmm. to clean underneath and, you know, get whatever may have fallen. Is that something that I don't have to do for Pesach? Um, I would say that part of it would depend on what you have found back there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know... If there's like a bagel back there, uh, you know, <laughs> then, uh, then, then, then maybe. Um, okay. But I would say having done it a few times and not noticing anything of significance, um, then probably not. Yeah, I think that would be more of a spring cleaning with a Jewish twist uh, kind of. Uh, spring cleaning after Pesach. <laughs> uh, and less about the actual requirement of ensuring that you don't have chametz um, in your... Uh, home. Okay. Yeah, John. Is saying here that these things that aren't Rayelach, like Kelev, are really not chametz, or is Enochayev of a separate class of substance? Um, I think it's a good question. I think it's uh, both, because you only have to destroy that which is chametz. I mean, so you, the, I mean, your the, the proof case perhaps could be if you take something that's not Rayelach like Kelev and boil it in a pot, is the pot chametz? The answer would be no, because it's not food anymore. That's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. But it takes a lot for something to be any lachilat kelav. So, um, yeah, you might want to put, might not want to put that on your pot, but the, but mm -hmm. but but conceptually speaking, you're yeah. correct. Interesting. Cool. Okay. 
Um, so which places need to be checked and cleaned? Um, so this is you know, a huge uh, topic, but I wanted to at least cite one primary source about, uh, the shul, from the Shulchan Aruch, based on several Gemaras, that he says, uh, the Machaber says here, Bodek in source number 9, So you really only need to check places in which there is a legitimate concern that Chametz has uh, uh, arrived there. So therefore, most rooms and sort of second floors of homes would require the bedika. Because oftentimes a person will go there with, you know, his uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwich in hand. So storage places or other sheds or places where you would never go to with any food uh, don't require checking. So the line of pa'amim adam nichnas bahem upitobiado is quite subjective. And each family needs to make the determination of uh, you know, uh, which areas are areas that chametz would have likely been uh, brought to over the course of the year. Right? So for some people, uh, the car, there's no food ever allowed in the car. And that's a rule which, you know, for most people with kids seems crazy. <laughs> uh, but some people have that rule. Uh, so um, it, the point is really that you just need to think about every area in your house and make a, uh, uh, an analysis that would determine whether or not you need to check there. Now, it used to be that the Bedikat Chametz that we do, you know, on the 13th was sufficient for the entire cleaning because people used to live in quite modest homes. So to actually clean it, uh, a one-room house would require two or three hours. You could do it in one night. But living in modern times with all of the stuff and space that we have, we had to start doing it ahead of time. But the Bedikat Chametz that we're making a bracha on the night before, we're really already starting that weeks in advance when we are starting our cleaning. That's really part of the mitzvah of Bedikat Chametz is uh, all that scrubbing and is all of that vacuuming. Um, we're just ritualizing it with a bracha at a specific uh, time, uh, but we're really extending that entire effort through what we're doing. Okay. So that's in terms of um, which places need to be checked and cleaned. So now I want to transition, and we're not going to get uh, too deeply into this, but I want to uh, at least spend uh, 10 or 15 minutes on it. So how to get rid of chametz in a kitchen. So we've said that the kitchen is more serious because of uh, its use for preparing for eating. Um, and the mitzvah of, or the Isur of chametz uh, for eating is afilu kolshehu, um, uh, any amount. Where the, the, the prohibition, uh, or the, let's say the punishment for eating chametz is what? What did we see in the psukim? Karet. So that's part of why we might say that this obsession of cleaning so much has become part of our uh, culture because the uh, punishment is so severe and unique uh, that for eating 
chametz on Pesach, the uh, punishment is spiritual excommunication. Um, and so, uh, but that only exists for eating uh, more than a kezayit. It's still prohibited from the Torah to eat less than that, but the punishment of karet only starts after consuming a um, a volume of uh, uh, of of, of, uh, of a kezayit. So um, the sort of most uh, intense or severe punishment um, is only for that threshold. Less than that is still uh, an isur, an isur min haTorah, but doesn't carry the same punishment. Okay, so um, how do we get rid of chametz in the kitchen? So it's all based on one pasuk in par- in, in, in Sefer Bamidbar, in, in, in source number 10. Kol davar asher ba'esh, ta'aviru ba'esh. So this is talking about after Moshe is leading the people through the conquest of uh, um, uh, a few of, of Midian, I believe, and uh, they have... Uh, collected some of the spoils of the nations uh, living in Eretz uh, Canaan, and Moshe is telling them how they can use those vessels for their own uh, benefit. So he says, Anything which the Canaanim have used um, on fire, you need to pass through fire before using it. V'tahar. We're going to bracket that because that's a, a, a separate uh, point. And anything which has not come into contact with fire directly, all that needs to be done is to pass it through water. So what we see here is a symmetry in terms of the way that something is absorbed into a vessel is the exact same way that one needs to remove it from the vessel. Okay? The principle of kibbol o kach polto, in the same way that it's absorbed, is the same way that you can extract from there. So Rashi there um, just sort of flushes out a little bit more, um, uh, puts a little more meat on the bones of what this pasuk is talking about. So we'll go through a few of these Rashis, and then we'll switch over to the uh, uh, the English um, guide. So Rashi says, kol levashel bo klum. So when you're you know cooking uh, something on it, so something like a a uh, spit or some kind of um, barbecue grill which comes direct into contact with fire, sort of dry uh, heat. Ta'avir be'ish, kederech tashmisho ha'galato. The same way that it's used is the same way that it is purged. tashmishu yagilu Something which is used with heat is, is going to be uh, purged with heat. Mashe tashmisho ayadei and something which is purged through roasting, kigona shipud vaskala yilavavanu, but or needs to be uh, needs to go through libun, uh, which is the process of heating it up so that it's very hot and all of the particles are sort of burnt out of that material. The kol asher loyavobeish and anything which does not come into contact with fire, kolavarshein tashmishoide or something which is not um, used through fire. Kigon kosot, like cups, So, um, anything which does not come into contact with fire, but is used cold or is used with a liquid medium, that also needs to be purged through a liquid medium. 
Okay, Tavir Bamayim, Matbilin Vidayo Vidavka Klima Techet. So Rashi here cites, uh, 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 refers to a sugya which indicates that not all materials are equal. The capacity to purge particles from a specific material um, varies. And so, um, in the same way that we were making distinctions, distinctions between uh, you know, formica and granite countertops and stainless steel and, uh, you know, um, porcelain. porcelain sinks, right? Those are because, okay, so that, that's because um, not all materials are composed in the same uh, way. Um, so uh, now that we have a little bit of the skeleton of uh, how to get rid of chametz from a kitchen, I'll pass out this uh, guide that I stole from the uh, uh, OU uh, website. Borrowed. <laughs> that works too. Uh, Rabbi Kazai, did you say that was 30 grams? Yeah. A Kazai. So this will be your first picture in your. Yeah. Indeed. It's a new challenge. Um, okay. Um, so this is a uh, a primer that I had um, used back in. It was written in 2014, and um, halacha hasn't changed that much, at least in this regard, uh, in this area of halacha since then. Um, so. This uh, goes through the uh, really three um, types of koshering, and then it goes through a few of the uh, appliances in a modern kitchen to uh, apply the different categories of koshering and um, to see how they uh, would be carried out. So we'll just start reading from maybe the second paragraph down here in the left-hand column. Uh, the Torah requires koshering utensils acquired from a non-Jew as they are presumed to have been used with non-kosher and will have absorbed non-kosher flavor. Since chametz on Passover is also forbidden, uh, the Talmud applies the laws of koshering to chametz as well. Right. So the psukim that we just read, everyone see where I am? The, uh, on the left hand, it's the, the, the title is the koshering primer, and then, the, and then I'm just reading from the second paragraph down. Um, so we just read these psukim that relate specifically to treif, to non-Jews using utensils for non-kosher food items. But uh, the rabbis transferred those same uh, principles with regard to chametz because chametz for the uh, eight days of Pesach or seven days of Pesach, depending on where you live, um, is going to be uh, the same uh, or, or should I just say similar type of ma'achal, uh, asurot, the same kind of forbidden food types which can be removed from the vessels um, in, um, uh, in the same way that non-kosher could be. So there are four basic methods of koshering. The prescribed method depends on the utensil and how it was used. So the first type of koshering is libun, which is burning. Utensils used directly in the fire, like a barbecue grate, must be koshered by placing them in fire. This process has the effect of burning any absorbed taste. To qualify as a complete libun, metal must be heated until it glows. A self-cleaning oven, um, or self-clean cycle of an oven approximately 850 uh, degrees Fahrenheit also qualifies as libun. 
There is no need to wait 24 hours before libun, though it is often advised. There is no need to scrub the utensil before performing a libun, since the fire will burn off residue, but some cleaning is advised. So the idea of waiting 24 hours before doing koshering is because we have this principle of after 24 hours, taste particles are become putrid, become negligible. And so generally before we kosher anything, we like to wait 24 hours before we're doing so because at least we have the leniency that we can rely upon that anything which is there is uh, considered to be, um, uh, we call it eno benyomo, something which is uh, not potent anymore. But when it comes to uh, doing the self-cleaning uh, mode on the oven or uh, blow-torching anything, there's no requirement to wait 24 hours because there's, the, the assumption is that one is going to obliterate all the taste particles that are in there regardless. So one doesn't need to say, oh, if I don't get all of them, uh, at least they're going to be um, uh, not potent anymore because it's assumed that that intensity and level of heat is going to remove them automatically. Um, okay, so uh, we'll see the distinction there in terms of waiting 24 hours for other things. So hagala, which is boiling, so utensils that were used to cook non-kosher liquid can be koshered with hagala, boiling in water. To prepare the utensil for hagala, the utensil must be thoroughly cleaned. Only utensils that can be scrubbed clean should be koshered. Items that have narrow cracks, crevices, deep scratches, or other areas that cannot be cleaned cannot be koshered for Pesach. So if you have something, even if it's metal, that has a lot of scratches on it, then there's a probability that uh, there's been food that's in there or, and it can't fully be cleaned, then one cannot uh, kosher that. So the following, uh, for example, cannot be koshered for Pesach, pots with rolled lips, bottles with narrow necks, filters, uh, colanders, uh, knives or other utensils where food could get trapped between the blade and the handle. After cleaning, the utensils should be left idle for 24 hours. To kosher, um, right, and that's the for the eno benyomo, uh, or for, for the benyomo factor of allowing the uh, taste particles to grow stale. So to kosher every part of the utensil, to kosher every part of the utensil must make contact with boiling water. This process can be done in parts. For example, a large spoon can be immersed into a pot of boiling water for 10 seconds, turned over, and then the remainder immersed. The pot used for koshering can be a clean chametz pot that has not been used for 24 hours. When the utensil is removed from the boiling water, it should be rinsed off in cold water. Anyone know why uh, after koshering a utensil, the utensil should be washed off in cold water? So the reason is because um, uh, when one koshers a, uh, let's say a spoon, right? A spoon uh, that for some reason, a, a, a dairy spoon was used to scoop out uh, chicken soup, right? You want to kosher it, so you boil up a pot of water. You dunk the spoon in for 10 seconds. So what happens to the particles of basar b'chalav that are in that um, spoon? They leave, right? But they might come right back from the water, back into the spoon, right? So um, the rabbis uh, say that the heat uh, changes the, uh, the, the spoon such that the, the spoon is more porous, right? And so it, the, the, the particles of taste leave the spoon. Um, and then when you take the spoon out of the boiling water and you put it into, and you wash off with cold water right away, that actually closes the 
openings in the spoon so that the residual water which is on the spoon when you take it out of the boiling pot doesn't go back into the pores of the spoon. Does that make sense? No. <laughs> the chemist says no. Okay, this is halachic uh, <laughs> physics, uh, not uh, actual physics. <laughs> um, well, they say like when you take a shower, like your pores are open, like hot water. Yeah. Right. Your pores are open in your skin, so like things absorb in. Right. So it's somewhat comparable, but 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 that's not the actual case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What with the pot that you use? Does it have to be a power pot? Does it not matter? Because anyway, that utensil is getting kosher. Like, let's say I use a dairy pot, kosher utensil, and then I want to use that utensil for meat. So it has a clean slate, so it doesn't matter, or it became dairy because that's... So the pot that you use doesn't matter because it's assumed that the particles which emote from the let's say the spoon, to use the same case we were working with, the spoon that had uh, basar b'chalav on it, um, it's, 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 it's negligible, it's batel, uh, you know, b'shishim, and it's not going to affect the, wall, the, the actual walls of the pot. It's batel b'shishim in the water. Right? Well, I'm asking you, so the pot doesn't affect the utensil, and the utensil can't affect the pot. Correct, okay. yeah. What about using the water afterwards for... So let's say, yeah. you boil up a pot of water, you have your one spoon that you messed up, you stick it in there, and right. you make pasta in there. Can you do that? Or is the uh, water... Um, you shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> you shouldn't. Uh, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. conceptually speaking, it, it sort of has been transferred to that. Even if it's negligible, we don't rely on bitu b'shishim when right. we don't have to. So like Evet, if you accidentally made it, if you did, then the pot, you so could John eat the pasta. John puts the pasta in and says, no! Yeah, <laughs> I'm usually that, I'm usually <laughs> that guy. <laughs> yeah. But shouldn't uh, that then also, like, so the residual water yeah. is that same water that isn't transferring time to the walls of the pot. Right. But then you still have to rinse off the spoon to remove that water and close the pores of the spoon. Right. There's a little bit of... I mean, I don't, I don't. I would think you yeah. have to. Yeah. So you, you, you should, you should, you should pour out the, uh, mm-hmm. the. Uh, you should do it for the pot too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Because um, the same, the same logic would would apply. I see. So there's more. It's almost like there's a dynamic situation of, as the pot status has its pores open, things are not absorbing into it almost. But then once you've, once it, as it's cooling down, you need to remove the. Yeah. So. You shrink the pores and remove the. Yeah, so that, that, that's one approach to uh, uh, justifying this uh, wash, washing in cold water afterwards. Okay, um, so that takes care of the first two ways of koshering, and um, I'm realizing it's just about nine, so we're going to sort of speed through this, but hopefully you can uh, um, read it on your own. And uh, we're starting early, so if there are any questions, um, of course, I'll be available for, for, for any uh, clarification. So uh, the Eroi Kli Rishon is uh, the third way of koshering something for Pesach. And it, if the utensil only came into contact with hot liquid being poured on it, it can be koshered in the same manner. If the utensil came into contact with hot chametz uh, solids, then one should kosher by pouring boiling water via an Evan Milubenet, which is a heated stone. Um, pouring water onto the stone and allowing the water to drip onto the surface. The reason for using the um, Evan Milubenet, the um, hot stone, is because you want to have the water boiling as it's touching the surface 
of the thing that you're koshering. And oftentimes when you take the boiling water off the stove and you walk, you know, five seconds over to the place that you're, you're pouring it onto, it's no longer boiling, right? So the Evan Milo Bennett is a little bit of a control to make sure that it's still hot enough that it's the same threshold of heat that was used to absorb the taste into that thing will be used to, to uh, purge the taste from that thing. So um, one way that we, you know, uh, that we get around it is we have uh, a, a water um, boiler that is, plugs in to the wall. So it's, and we can still have it plugged in as we're pouring it. So it's still boiling. It's still connected to the heat source as we're pouring it. So it's still boiling. Um, so that's one tip for uh, using Eroy Klee Rishon. Um, was that? And then you don't need the stone. And then you don't need the stone, yeah. So it makes it a little bit easier. Um, yeah. Um, okay. Um, so we'll just do that. the next paragraph of not every material can be koshered. So ceramics such as china, enamel, coated pots cannot be koshered. It is the custom of Ashkenazim not to kosher glass for, for Pesach. That's really what, what the OU holds. Um, um, and that's specifically glass that um, was used for hot, like something like a um, Pyrex, right? The Pyrex can't be kosher, but glasses are, that were not used for hot, like water glasses, things for, 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 for liquids, uh, can be. Um, so some postgame did not permit koshering plastic or other synthetic materials for pastor. However, the opinion of the Oyurabunim is that they may be koshered if there is a need. Okay. Um, as a rule, materials such as metal, wood, stone, natural rubber, and fabric can be koshered. What about the glass plate in the microwave? Okay, good. So that, 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 that we'll, we'll get there. So let's go through just a few of the appliances in the uh, uh, common uh, modern kitchen. And... Um, we'll see how some of these would apply in practice. So silverware pots and other small things, that's really gonna be done through Hagala, through uh, Im immersing into a boiling pot of water. Um, stainless steel sink, the best way to do it is through Eroy, through pouring boiling water um, into. And there's a whole uh, little description here about how sometimes it's best to uh, replace the drain as well. Um, um, okay, so turning over the sheet. Uh, ceramic sink. Uh, ceramic, as we said, is something which is so porous that you can't really expel the taste particles from it, and therefore one would require a covering or even a sink insert. Um, in terms of uh, gas stove, the best thing is to do libun to actually, um, uh, you know, to clean the surface top and then not to use it for a certain amount of time and then let the uh, stove top be on, um, uh, or this is the, just the stove, so just to turn the oven on, um, and um, this is the gas, yes, yeah, so this is the stove top. This is clean the stove top surface and grates well, don't use for 24 hours, cover the stove top surface with foil, replace the grates uh, or burn them in the oven at 550 for one hour. So um, one can either turn on, if it's a gas stove, one can turn on the heat, uh, the flame, and kosher the grates that way. But what needs to be covered here, even though it wasn't written so clearly, is the in-between space, uh, because it's harder to kosher that. If one, every stove is different, so you sort of have to 
know your stove. I'm sure each of you uh, uh, have figured it out. Um, but um, you can take the, whole, the entire grate and put it in the oven and put it through a self-cleaning. That's one way to do it. Or if you can only, if you can't, if it's not easy, so easy to remove, you can just kosher the space where the pots rest on and then the in-between space you cover with uh, tin foil. Uh, the Keurig coffee maker, um, you can do a combination of Hagala um, uh, or Eroy depending on how easy it is to remove that. And then to do a run of the, uh, uh, of, of the Keurig, just with hot water to clean out the, the system. Um, Self-clean ovens is through Libun. Uh, Non-self-clean ovens, you need to do a little bit more in terms of cleaning all the surface. And then you can um, um, uh, put, put the uh, temperature on the oven on the highest temperature <laughs> for an hour and a half to two hours, and that takes care of it. Uh, tablecloths, ovens, mitts, aprons, and other fabric items really just need to be washed in the washing machine on the hot cycle so that there's no food items uh, sort of embedded in there. The microwave, this is what you were asking, Levy. The glass turntable should be removed and placed with a new kosher for Passover surface. And that's because we don't kosher glass that came into contact with hot things for Pesach. Um, so uh, it's best to... Uh, remove it or, or replace it, and if that's uh, and if that's impossible, then one should at least um, cover it. Um, with, what can you cover it with? A microwave? Um, I don't know. I can't think of a good. Uh, yeah, we 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 just take ours off. Um, mm -hmm. <coughs> which which works. I mean, it doesn't doesn't circulate as much, uh, right? Wait, what was that? Take, how do you take it off? I mean, what do you? How do you? Just, just no plate. Just, you just leave it, whatever it is. Oh, on and then it doesn't spin. Yeah, it doesn't spin. So it, you don't have as much sort of movement. Right. Um, but um, still works. Yeah, still works. Um, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, uh, but the way to kosher that the, the, the way to kosher the walls of the microwave is to take a cup of water and to let it boil out. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Cover the door with cardboard. Um, it should be taped over the glass window pane for the duration of a uh, Pesach. Um, Does that mean on the inside? No, I wouldn't think so. Yeah. Fire. No. No, it must no. mean on the inside. I think it. I think it is referring. Yeah. Yeah, because you don't want so. the glass to come in contact with any of your mm. Pesach uh, Yeah, I think that's a little bit. Uh, it's a little bit of a chumra. I can I can say we don't do that, uh, <laughs> but um, but now uh, you will. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, I think it's a it's a yeah. I don't think that glass is going to be coming into contact with uh, with food. Um, so I understand the reason for saying that, but I don't I don't think it's necessary. Um, I think it's it's a precaution which uh, uh, is not really uh, justified. Um, okay, um, in terms of the other pieces here, the sink faucet can be done through Eroy. Granite countertops we brought up, uh, Rebecca mentioned, you can do that with Eroy, or if you're lazy, you can just cover them. Um, other countertops must be covered. Refrigerators, freezers, uh, food shelves, pantries really just need to be cleaned. Um, and... Um, 
they can be covered. Uh, they don't need to be if they're cleaned really well uh, because it's, uh, uh, there's nothing that can be absorbed. There, there's no taste that can be transferred through cold things. Right? So if it's in a fridge, as long as there's no crumbs or residual stuff uh, left over, there's no real need to cover, but we still uh, so, you know, try uh, to, uh, to cover if, uh, if, if we can. Dishwashers can be done uh, through Hagala. It's a complicated process, and if you want to kosher your, your dishwasher, I usually discourage it because it takes a lot of effort and a lot of time to do appropriately. Uh, because you really have to take out the filters, you really have to unscrew some pieces, you really have to go through the racks very well to make sure there's nothing left, uh, and uh, it, it might not be worth the, uh, the toil, uh, but it, it is possible to do with enough work. Um, okay, so I think that uh, sort of covers um, very quickly out of the basic uh, appliances in the kitchen. And I'm going to send out um, before Pesach sort of uh, another primer of uh, Hilchot Pesach that will hopefully be helpful as well. But I hope this um, exercise uh, of learning a few of the sources inside and then applying some of them was helpful in thinking about what is uh, necessary and what is not necessary. Um, and I hope that we can use some of this material to uh, get ready appropriately for Pesach in, uh, in the weeks uh, following Purim. Uh, any questions or? Yeah, Stephanie. Oh, sorry, just one. Go ahead. About Hagalah. You were talking about um, things with deep scratches. Or Does that apply to like beckers that have engraving and all that? Um, that stuff can, can be kosher, yeah, especially because it, it, there's no real food being rubbed in there, right? Um, and, um, yeah, it's also, usually bechers are really just used for cold, right? If it was used for hot, I would, I would if, then I would say, I would say differently. If it's washed with hot. Right, but it's still, the, the food isn't being... Like I would say, like a, a a pan or like a frying pan, which it's being scraped in at a higher temperature, is gonna be harder to kosher than something which is just used. Uh, and it's the becha really isn't used with chametz anyways, but um, to kosher it, uh, the engraving would not be an issue. Um, but one would need to clean it well to make sure that all the indentations and all of the, uh, you know, uh, are clean of of chametz before doing the Hagala. Yeah. Question. So we said in Libun that we don't need to wait 24 hours right. before we kosher the item. But then in the gas stove, you said we could put the grates in the oven on a self-cleaning, but you do need to let it sit. Don't use for 24 hours. Does that mean after, like before? Um, I don't think that I don't think that's necessary. If you're doing Libun, you don't have to do, you don't have to wait 24 hours. Okay. Yeah, so that might be a mistake there. Um, yeah, unless it was referring to the, 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 yeah, I think that's, I don't think that's necessary. Okay. Yeah. Um, the glass stove top. Yeah. The glass top stove. So you just clean it and then like use aluminum foil or something under each pot? There are different approaches to glass stoves. Um, they're a little bit harder when it comes to Pesach because of the fact that we don't uh, kosher hot glass or, or glass that was used for hot things on Pesach, generally speaking. Um, some posts can do, do allow for the koshering of the glass 
stovetop um, to uh, just um, put it on the highest temperature possible and then to use it. Um, and with some of these things, I, I should probably consult with Rabbi Sender uh, because some of them really are minhag um, hamakom. Like it's important to maintain a certain consistency over the course of time of certain community standards. So um, before I say anything definitive, uh, that's one of those items that I think shift from community to community, and I think consistency is more important. I can answer that question because we had a glass tub tub for a while, and he said each one had to be turned on to the highest for at least five minutes, but not at the same time because it can crack. Yeah. And then in between, there was no way to kosher, so we would have um, like trivets or, or covering covered it with in aluminum, aluminum foil. something so okay. it never actually touched your pot on it, and if anything fell in there, it's a goner. Yeah. The interesting Wait, thing no, is, what do you so, mean so, so in between? Like if, the, you, if you have one, two, three, four, right. this is not kosher. The areas that are not. Right. But the actual So you're burner. supposed to have a trivet or something on those areas? Or just completely avoid putting your kosher for Pesach pot on it. Don't, okay. don't rest your utensil yeah. there. Mm -hmm. That's okay. the same yeah. thing you told us. That's what we've been doing for years. And we line the spaces in between with foil. Okay. Right. Okay. And so, it's also so it doesn't overheat. At some point, and it might have been previous to you guys moving in, I don't know, um, he actually said boiling water would be okay. Oh, that's interesting. That what? The, that the boiling water would be okay, meaning the burners, well, you burn you, the burners, yeah. and uh, then you chance you crack no. the water and you can contact yeah. the glass with the water. Oh, really? So okay. I don't know if well, it's so shifted at some point. So if you moved to no, town in 2005 and earlier, there's electric gas. There's electric ones where you can remove the grate, and there's yeah, ones where it's built glass top. Glass top. Well, there's glass tops where you can, and just know from the Pontchartrain apartments, there's glass tops where you were able to like remove and clean. Really? Well, maybe I'm confused, really? but I, I had one that you couldn't remove anything. I'm getting confused. Cool. Electric, but not glass top. Ah, yes. Got it. No, yeah. this was a where glass you can't top remove it, yeah. electric, Interesting. and that's so yeah. not lucky. It's like a flat. Oh. So I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So that's, but definitely yeah. more recent yeah. years. That's what yeah. I've been hearing. Right. So that, that that's reasonable, and that's that's a position that uh, is is certainly mainstream. That you don't have to cover the actual burner part of the glass, and that's kosherable by just putting it on uh, its highest temperature, um, and um, especially because that's not coming into direct contact with food. There's always going to be a pot in between. So there's a re there's a reason to be more lenient when it comes to the glass stove top as opposed to a Pyrex, uh, which is coming into direct contact with food. So there's a, there's a reason to be more make-kill there. And um, it's good to know that that was the approach. And uh, I'll, I'll consult with them on a few things, but it'll be good to make sure that certain things stay the same. OK, any other questions or thoughts? So for granite countertops, can you steam clean them versus pouring boiling water on them? Um, I don't know how well, steam cleaning works. Yeah, right by center allowed. A uh -huh. um, me too, because okay. I'm afraid of boiling water. Okay, what is, what is steam cleaning? It's a steamer. You buy a little, it's a thing called a steamer, uh -huh. and it really just shoots out boiling water. Okay. He said we can use it in our sink and on our countertops. So, so if, if that's, if, if that's no, it's not a lot of steam. Ours doesn't shoot out boiling water. Ours just generates a lot of steam. Uh -huh. You don't really see any water. The water's in the machine itself. It's the steam that's coming I'm out. I'm not quite sure, because Aaron does that. Uh -huh. But my <laughs> center was the one who um, yeah. told it, us to get it. Okay, it seems so like it's not terribly it's expensive. Gonna... And it's About the steamers, Rabbi Sender had said that there are certain steamers that don't give a lot of water, 
and it can't, can't right. count as eroid. Okay. It gave certain brands yeah, that's what it that was. push a lot of water uh, and it's enough water to be okay. eroid. So I there were certain models of certain brands. Okay. So that's something else. Yeah, something else I'll have to. Okay. That's cool. I never, I never heard of the steamer. Uh, I've heard of steamers being used for like cooking things, but not like kashering things. Yeah. This is more like for removing wallpaper. Okay. So I mean, special thing in the I mean, conceptually, it makes sense, right? Because it's the same mechanism of purging. But it's just a fancier, safer way of doing it. Mm -hmm. So uh, as long as the, I think, yeah, I have to just sort of make sure that the model is uh, uh, appropriate. But yeah. Okay. Any other thoughts or comments? Okay, we've got time. So uh, just if anyone has suggestions for what they would like to learn about in future classes, email me, leebyweiss@gmail.com. Okay. Well, thank you everyone for joining. Thank you for participating, and thank you thank again you. to John. Thank you for hosting. Lila Tope and a happy uh, or, uh, early uh, Purim.